0: You're listening to Anacca Podcast. This program is associated with the exhibition A Biography of Daphne, curated by Mickna Merkan. Presented by the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne, A Biography of Daphne is on display from 26 June until 12 September 2021. In this podcast, we hear from playwright Cherry Magid and classics professor Stephanie McCarter. Cherry and Stephanie discuss Cherry's play A Poem and a Mistake which is performed by New York actor Sarah Baskin and has recently been filmed. The video of A Poem and a Mistake is also available for viewing on the ACCA website at ACCA.melbourne until 12 September 2021. Please be advised that this conversation includes references to sexual assault and other mature content. To hear more from us, please subscribe to the ACCA podcast wherever you get your podcasts and sign up to ACCA's newsletter at ACCA.melbourne.
1: Hi, I'm Sherry Magid. I'm the co-creator and the writer of A Poem in Mistake. I'm also an assistant arts professor at New York University.
2: I'm Stephanie McCarter. I am a professor of classics at the University of the South in Sewanee, Tennessee, and I'm currently translating Ovid's Metamorphoses for Penguin Classics.
1: Well, hi, Stephanie. It's great to be here with you, um, seeing you and also sharing airspace with you for the second time. Um, I'm also, I'm thrilled to have you because I know you are on super duper deadline right now, aren't you? I
2: am indeed, but that's okay. (laughs) I've just finished the translation and I'm hopefully zooming it off into the ether next week. So it's wrapping up.
1: that's so exciting. I mean, as somebody who's known you for since 2018, I know that this has been uh, all consuming. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I glad you... to move on. Yeah.
2: <laughs> we'll move on well, to I... the next step of Ovid, not away from Ovid, but.
1: <laughs> well, I hope you did a victory lap somewhere in Swanee while you were there.
2: You know, I don't know if anybody's feeling quite victorious at the end of the know. but yeah. Yeah. Are you, um, um, things moving along for you in New York? And,
1: uh, well, I'm in Sagerties, New York. So I'm in upstate New York, and, um, I generally, um, split my time between the Hudson Valley and New York City, but I haven't lived there for a year and a half and have to move back in like two weeks. So that's a little scary. I, I feel like my, um, I don't know, like re-entry is, is going to be something. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Right. Well, I was so, we, the last time we spoke, I had just taught your play to my class. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, <laughs> Sherry was kind enough to, to speak to a whole class I was teaching on women's reception of Ovid's metamorphoses. We read a lot of uh, writers who had taken up this material. And we looked at works in progress, photography in progress. And Sherry was really kind enough to share uh, share this with my students. And they had a lot of great questions uh, for her. So um, so I hope perhaps we can revisit some of the things we talked about uh, there in this conversation.
1: I will say that your students were so helpful, like we did a, I did another draft post that conversation. And um, I also want to say, I want to acknowledge my co-creator, Sarah Baskin, who's the actor of this piece. This is a one-person show and um, she's absolutely fantastic in it. I'm so excited to share the piece with ACA audiences.
2: Could you talk about your collaboration with her and how that unfolded?
1: Yes. Um, So... Sarah, uh, Sarah's an actor, but we actually met when she showed up as a writer in one of my writing classes. And, um, I was, uh, immediately just felt in sync with her. And I told her, I said, whenever you're doing something, let me know. And we became friends. And then we always wanted to collaborate on something. And I had never written a one person show and was, um, It's a really interesting form because you have to figure out, it's kind of like writing without nine fingers, you know, just like, how do you just work off one person? Um, So we started um, spitballing a bunch of ideas and a a few different things happened at the same time. One was, I I knew this woman, um, it's so hard to say her name, Mara, (laughs) who passed away Um, and Sarah reminded me of her. So the original idea had something to do with that. And then at the same time, uh, Stephanie, as you know, we began talking about another project of mine, which is an opera called Penelope and the Geese, um, which is a reinterpretation of the Penelope story where Penelope gets as much sexual agency as Odysseus. So Penelope has a great time during those 20 years. And, uh, Stephanie was, um actually showed me places in the text where that, uh, idea could be supported and investigated, which was great. So anyway, um, back to Sarah and I, we, um, we, we were pursuing the other idea and I believe we had a grant application due and we just started to realize that the idea didn't really have that much. And I started excitedly telling her about your work and then, uh, it turned out she was fascinated by metamorphosis, as was I, and that's how the project began.
2: That's great. When um, and, and this all started unfolding. Um, how long? How long were you working together and reading together before you? And I know you read a number of translations of Ovid. Yes. Um, how How did that process go? How did that work?
1: Uh, well, it was. Um, I, I think I, I wrote you, and I was like, "Of all the translations, if we were going to read, I think we decided to read two because you know the thing is about writing anything that has to do with *Metamorphoses*. You run the risk of being overwhelmed by the sheer amount of material. So you had recommended the Humphreys and the Mandelbaum, and Sarah and I were on. A, a, we're at a residency, and I took the Humphreys, and she took the Mandelbaum. And we sat across from each other and just wrote down anything that struck us. And the thing that we soon realized was I was cruising along, and Sarah was like, "How are you four books ahead of me?" And it turned out that Mandelbaum is very verbose, um, doesn't stay within the line scheme. So we were like, "What is this mention of Atlas that isn't at all in the Humphreys?" Um, and it it really brought up how. Um, Uh, particular each translation is. And then um, I also had the opportunity, you know, once we started talking, you've shared some of your translation with me and um, also at Swanee Spoken Bird. Uh, so, So that was, it was exciting to be around three different translations and watch how different they were.
2: It's interesting. Um, I, I've actually been able to total up all the different line numbers of these various translations. And oh, gosh. Um, Humphreys, I mean, Mandelbaum is over 5,000 lines longer uh, than Humph- Humphreys. Um, mine is actually shorter than Humphreys. Uh, mine's the shortest of all of the translations. But, wow. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Um, and I, I was, one thing I was curious um, about as well, I mean, since you know one of my big goals is to to really handle the sexual violence of the epic as well as I can, not to use euphemism
0: Mm -hmm. um, at any
2: point to make it very clear when when a character is being raped. Um, I was curious if you noticed anything as you were reading through the translations um, that struck you as maybe euphemistic or unclear or romanticizing. um, And did you find that one translation was worse than the other about that?
1: Yeah,, um, I mean, uh, this is in the play, the the um, story of Salmachus and Hermaphroditus in the Humphreys. I mean, I feel like I'm quoting myself, so this is embarrassing. but um, it it really sounds like something bad happened. Like it sounds like sec- sexual violence, and it's really unclear what's happening in the Mandelbaum. Um, and that is the book where Atlas is, is, I mean, the translation where Atlas appears and Atlas isn't in the text and you're like, wait, why is Atlas here? And, um, yeah. And so, um, since that's one of the few female on male violence in the book, uh, we were particularly, um, looking at that. Um, and it, it, it was incredibly striking and I think it would be, um, confusing for somebody reading those translations at the same time to figure out what was actually going on. And I know, Stephanie, that that's also your origin story of how you started translating metamorphoses. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've taught this text so, text so many times. And um, one of the first times I taught it um, as a professor was when I was teaching it in translation to a group of students who were taking my women and gender and antiquity class. And um, we were reading the story of Lukothui uh, from book four, um, who was raped by the sun. And the texts all translate this very euphemistically, as though she is sort of seduced by his great beauty. Um, The Latin word is used there as nitor, it means brightness, but it can also suggest kind of beauty. Um, But, and because that's there, translators sort of render the actual rape scene as very consensual. Ovid is very deliberate. He says that she endured his vis, which is the Latin like legal word for rape. Um, and so the Latin makes it very clear that she's been raped, but so many translators just completely turned that around. And, um, and I wrote a piece for uh, Electric Literature, which is an online literary magazine, looking at all of the different ways that this had been translated. And at that stage, I wasn't really intending to translate Ovid. I was translating Horace. Um, and things just sort of unfolded from there. And I became very determined that I wanted to do a translation um, that focused on accurate rendering of sexual violence. But, you know, it's just been a wonderfully wild project. I've loved every single second of working on it. It's been, it's been really great. Um, and I think, you know, I went to New York to talk at Columbia about this and you you came to see my my talk there. And that was one way that um, we, we started communicating not just about Penelope and the geese, but also uh, about Ovid as well. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have a a podcast about the art of love, Ovid's art of love. So look out, Stephanie. It's project number three. I'm gonna consult (laughs) with you. I'm all for
2: it. I'm all for it. So how much were you aware of Ovid before? I mean, and and particularly, you know, sort of the issues around reading Ovid and the politics of reading Ovid um, before you started working on this play.
1: I mean, you know, I feel like I had read sections of Metamorphoses in college. I don't, I think I would remember if I had read the whole text, because I would, you know, as a college student, you would remember how long it was. So I feel like I read some of the uh, the original text, And then of course, many, many stories that were taken from Metamorphoses. And I feel like a lot of people. You know, it's funny because um, there's been some people that have, you know, they've come to a reading of the play, and before they're like, "I don't, I don't know Metamorphoses," and I'm like, "Well, you do. You just don't know that that's where the material came from." Like Daphne and Apollo, a lot of people know that story. Um, so I, you know, I, I knew I knew pieces of it, and um, but like going back to the text, it. It has so many of the things that I love, like the, the magic and the su- uh, surrealistic quality. And I, I think one thing as a writer, the way the tone switches from story to story and the way that stories, um, and I wrote the play like this as well, they're like Russian dolls. It's like story within a story within a story. Um, I think that's an amazing form and uh, I think Ovid is slippery and enjoys being slippery. and that's that's another reason why it's a crying shame that some of these translations don't pick up on that because, um, I, I like it because it's so many different things smashed together. Um, and that, as a writer was like incredibly juicy to play around with.
2: Absolutely. I mean, one thing that I'm thinking so much about is how every, story as you say is, is slippery and there are multiple ways you can interpret it and um and that a good translation will bring out the varying uh, possibilities yeah um, and you know, i've compared oven on more than one occasion to a prism and what, <laughs> ma- what matters is how you hold it at the light you know against the light at any one time it's going to reflect different meanings um, which is one reason i really like your play because it takes up various modes of interpretation, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The professor at the beginning has a way he wants to read the play
0: mm-hmm,
2: um, but mm-hmm. doesn't acknowledge, or sorry, I keep saying play, the epic, um, but doesn't acknowledge the ways that other people might read the epic or that people with different experiences might read the epic, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and so much of it then um, acknowledges, and I love this about the play, uh, acknowledges that the way we read anything is really going to... We're going to bring our own experiences to bear on that, and if you're mm-hmm. a woman or a man, anyone who might have experienced sexual coercion or sexual violence, you're going to bring that to the epic. And if we want to, we want to invite many people into reading this epic, we have to acknowledge the fact that they are going to bring these um, these experiences that may be traumatic to the act of reading, and that they mm-hmm. must those readings have to be um, acknowledged with care. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I I think academia is going through a whole, um, reckoning with this idea of, of what interpretations people are bringing to the table. Um, it's necessary. I think it's really painful for a lot of people to like having taught it one way and try to open their minds to it and, and, and be, but also to just be very aware of what people are bringing to it. And, um, um, I think also it's important to acknowledge that in, in the work in, in metamorphosis, there's three, um, sexual incidents of sexual violence against men too. So it's, uh, you know, which I know when you have like 50, you don't think about that, but it, it's important to realize that there's a lot of people that have experienced sexual violence and they're not always, you can't. You don't know who has and who hasn't, you don't know what people are bringing to the table.
2: It almost seems when you know when you're in your play as though for Mira and I think perhaps even for the professor as well that there is a kind of perhaps a therapeutic aspect in a way to reading
0: mm-hmm. um, Ovid's mm-hmm. text.
2: Um, mm-hmm. You know I, I do think I don't I don't know what Ovid's attitude is. I don't think it's recoverable at all t- towards rape. But I do think that, at least with my students, that reading Ovid can give them a way of understanding rape and power and mm-hmm. understanding the, the, the voicelessness that victims feel, um, the lack of agency, um, that victims feel. And so talking about those aspects of sexual violence maybe can be empowering in a way. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
2: I wonder if, 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 does your Mira experience, um, a kind of therapeutic value from reading Ovid it? Is she, is she empowered by it?
1: Well, one thing that she says in the play, because, uh, at the end of the play, he asks her why she decided to study the classics. And she says, when, when you shrink, when something shrinks you, you want to be big, you want you, I'm, I forget exactly what I said, but, um, you want something epic. And I think, um, the losing oneself in a huge story is, you know, just like picking up a good book and losing yourself. But also it's so big. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I just think that there's this aspect of losing yourself in it that can be delicious. Um, and also um, I think that she you know, she kind of goes into the belly of the beast through the play. And in having this acknowledgement of like, yes, these things happened. And yes, there's 50 people whose names we should say, and realize that they've experienced trauma, she is able to move on. So that's exactly what you're talking about, that that's something perhaps we can offer to... Viewers and listeners and readers.
2: Because at the, it's, you know, at the end of the, the play, she very pointedly says, when we read Ovid, let's talk about rape, right? That, yeah. um, that you know, that her own experiences perhaps had given her a lens into the the way that the text should be taught Um, Mm -hmm. and perhaps not always read that way. I mean, it is a complex text and people are going to find different things of interest in Mm -hmm, it, but, mm -hmm. um, but failing to acknowledge that seems to be something that she feels very strongly about by the end of the end of the play.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing that you and I have talked about too is like, you know, the thing is that it is this amazing text and it's, it's not just about sexual violence. It's about like name it. It's about that. So, I mean, I I always get worried about this idea of like, because it's a problematic text, we, we don't teach it or we don't talk about it. Um, I think the far more interesting thing is to acknowledge it. And I, am thinking of the, um, the Gardner Museum in Boston is doing this show about Titian. I don't know if, if you've seen it, but, um, You know, and they're putting these paintings about metamorphosis in context um, and asking us to look at that. And I feel like we haven't looked at classics from that perspective. And it feels, I mean, in addition to all the other things, it feels very alive and very present and very um, of the moment. And I think that that's exciting. And that's part of the reason why the classics have lasted this long, because each era can look at them from their own unique perspective or from many perspectives and, and have a takeaway from it.
2: You know, that, that makes me think, you know, when I went into translating of it, I think initially I was so interested in translating the sexual violence violence accurately and, and well, but, but that wasn't when I came, coming out on the other end of it now, those weren't the stories that pulled me through as much as I thought they were going to. I was much more, surprised by Ovid than I thought I was going to be. And just the vastness of what this tapestry that he's woven for us contains. I mean, the stories of mutual love are as phenomenal as any stories of mutual love I've ever read. Um, And, you know, my favorite bit that I translated was this long philosophical... Sort of soliloquy by Pythagoras about change and transformation I didn't expect that so you know absolutely I think that um, you know doing that c- close reading to a, of a text like that over a period of time makes you appreciate just the many many layers of reading that that, that involves um, and I think that what you and I both have done is translation of a sort and before mm-hmm. you can translate you have to interpret right-.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Um and 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 um so I I, I appreciate the idea how you, how in, in your interpretation you center interpretation. Um whoop, whoop. We've talked a lot about Mira. I'm one thing. I'm obsessed with the professor, of course, because I'm a classics professor, <laughs> and I like I like him a lot. I know. I don't think you would call him the antagonist, would you? How would no, you describe him? No,
1: no. I mean, I wanted to make sure. You know, it, it's it's not. He's not a villain, you know, and he's um, he loves Metamorphosis, and that's something that they share. He's passionate about it. He's just the type of person that he's just bookish, and um he's not even like ill informed he just doesn't he has he um has focused um, um his efforts on on looking at it from one perspective and possibly he believes that that's not true, but he he claims that, <coughs> excuse me, that the play of uh, the play, now you got me doing it, Stephanie, <laughs> that the epic <coughs> is about love. And that's one of the things that, and he, he's trying to explain the form that Ovid wrote it in. And he's trying to like make Mura feel better about uh, something. Like he basically, you know, as professors, we have all this, uh, this training about, um, you know, difference. And, and like he, he, she says a buzzword and he's like, Oh God, what did that packet say? And then proceeds to just keep botching it and and just digs himself a hole. But he's always well-intentioned. Um, which I think is important that it, like you said, he's not a classic antagonist by any means.
2: Were there particular Ovidian characters that inspired you in your presentation of him? I mean, I'm thinking of the the sort of gender fluidity within mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. ethnic. and certainly he undergoes a change from a man into a woman, and he has to experience the world through a, a woman's body. Yeah. Um, why did you decide to? Um, I mean, you could have done this as a, with a female professor. Why did you want gender to be such an important um, experience for him in the play?
1: Um, I could have. You know, it's, it's hilarious because when Sarah and I were first talking, we thought about possibly making this a two-person play um, in which I would act. But I'm not an actor, and we soon decided that was probably not a good idea. <laughs> um, I, you know, I... Like, sometimes as a writer, you you don't know how to answer a certain question. Like, he just came out male. Like, he just started talking. Um, I think possibly because gender would be at the forefront then, but mostly because I just started hearing his voice. Um, And I I think I was inspired by someone I had seen on the subway reading a a dog-eared book, and that made me think of him. Um, but yes, I I absolutely thought of Tiresias. Um, and in fact, that story is in a poem and a mistake. Um, and yeah, I mean the the gender fluidity part. I mean, I also, you know, I'm writing I'm writing something for one actor, and I am I very much tailored this piece to Sarah Baskin's um, range, and I was like <laughs> I was like, let me throw that at her, too. Um, but I thought, you know, it's it's also like I was very aware that she was mostly going to be playing two characters. And how do we make them as distinct as possible, which is how the the British accent happened. And Sarah has spent a lot of time with a vocal coach, like coach, uh, really perfecting this particular accent. Um so, yeah, but we I knew that what I was going to be doing was complex. I mean, the play is written in 15 books, and it all, kind of alternates between Murrah and not Murrah, which is the professor turned female. Um, and I wanted to find ways to really distinguish those two voices. And I also... Um, Going back to Ovid and the different tones, the the Mura sections and the not Mura sections have very different tonal values. With the professor actually being weirdly coming out very comedic, very high comedy, um, and Mura being more contemplative, even though there's humor in in the contemplative parts and contemplative inness in the humor.
2: Well the tonal shifts were very avidian to me, right I mean he he's deadly serious one moment and then the next um, pulls out some witticism that you that seems very hard to 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 interpret again mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You, you know one thing that i uh was thinking the last time I, I've seen this I've seen the play now in several iterations mm-hmm. and um the last version I saw, it was just sort of Sarah in this stark white background. And so you mm-hmm. were so, mm-hmm. your eyes were sort of locked on the physical performance that she was yeah. putting on. And, and the physical performance is so arresting. She's there the whole mm-hmm. time. She mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. so physically engaged with the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I And Ovid so focuses on the body and the um, way it can suffer and its vulnerabilities, I mean, to what degree are we supposed to see her as really undergoing like this physical metamorphosis <laughs> from <laughs> beginning <laughs> to end?
1: <laughs> so, first of all, Sarah would love me to say, oh my God, that was a rehearsal, Stephanie. I, I can do way more. <laughs> we we had to, yeah, we, we had to record at a friend's studio to have uh, some, we did it outside, but the video didn't work anyway. Um, but what has been so exciting about making this like theater film um, of the piece is that Sarah at last has been off book and um, freed from a music stand and really able to use the body and also given that I mean it's interesting doing a theater piece for film because it's 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 somewhere in the middle which is an interesting form that everybody's been exploring during uh, covid but I think will persist because it's it's just really interesting. But in addition to using the body, we've been using the frame of the camera, um, which which can amplify what the body's doing. Um, but yes, uh, things that we were very aware of was that you know the professor goes through three or four transformations uh, in addition to the changing into Murrah and changing uh, back into himself. So we really wanted to find a language for the body um, of those transformations, and we wanted them to be um, uh, magical and violent um, and theatrical, or filmic, whatever. But but theatrical. Um, it's it's interesting because our director Tamala Woodard um, has called the piece literary, and it is. Um, but it's also incredibly physical. Um, because if you think about it, if you're just watching one person transform, what are the tools that we have? And it's, it's not a, a play that calls for like, sweet, you know, huge set changes or anything like that. It's really about Sarah and how she's changing from moment to moment to moment.
2: It's really incredible. I mean, to have the the sort of constant physical pre- presence of her, so clearly undergoing these different transformations. It, mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it, it pulls off I think an amazing feat in that regard. And when my students and I were talking about it, I, we were saying you know, we would just all have collapsed at the end of oh it. Oh my we god! Can- I know.
1: <laughs> no, listen. Um, I'm gonna give Sarah a lot of credit here because also there's a difference between doing a play for the play runs about an hour, but we filmed it. (laughs) So she was acting one day for 13 hours. I think it was a a total of like 20 hours over two days. (laughs) And then the uh, the other thing is that, you know, when she was doing the professor, she, she was like, I'm so sorry, but I have to keep doing this even between takes because I'll lose the accent. So I had to talk to her about the whole piece as she was doing the accent. But I mean, honestly, she is uh, a trooper because she kept going. And I think she flubbed lines like twice the entire twenty hours. It was amazing.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. No, well, you—it's certainly you can see how invested she is in this <laughs> character. It's hard. It would be it would be really hard to imagine now for me, anyone but Sarah playing this role because it is <laughs> so. Um, she seems to have it's in her muscle memory. Yes, yeah, that's absolutely at, true at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to ask you, cause this is something, again, my students and I talked about a lot is why Mira as a character, because mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. course in Ovid's metamorphoses, she's, um, she's such an interesting character because she has a, an incestuous mm-hmm. sexual desire, which she actually does um, um, consummate with her own father. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and, I've racked my brain trying to, and, and Ovid is very sympathetic towards her. She's yes. not uh-huh. villainous at all. Uh-huh. She's, uh-huh. she's undergoing a very, um, one, of my, one of the things I find most interesting about Ovid is that the word vis, which I've mentioned is the legal word that means rape, but it's also a word that Ovid uses to describe love. Uh-huh. Um, his, <laughs> uh, his Medea in book seven says that she's experiencing this nova vis, this strange, violence that's what love is and so um all of it is often very sympathetic towards these characters um and and Mira is no exception to that um at all but I would love to know more about why Mira Um, I know you know she has this complicated relationship with a um male authority figure as does your Mira but I, I just am curious why why you chose her
1: Yeah. So, um, like I said, some of this was just this random writer brain of like, I knew this woman Mara. And so like, I think we just started working with Mira. I think I actually thought it was the same name and then I realized it wasn't the same name, but I'm like, okay, well, we'll go with that. And, um, I think partially, because it's this idea that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Stephanie, it's never clear why this happens to Mura. You know? Like, so um, there's a line in the play, um, that that Mura reads like, you know, ten four different translations, and it's never clear if she was cursed or she just chose to do the wrong thing. And I think that's very much a question for Mura in the in the play. Um, you know, I, I love a poem and a mistake is something Ovid said about why he was exiled from Rome. And, um, but, and maybe you have different insight. What I read was like, no one knows what the mistake was. I don't know if that, is that not true? Cause you
2: know, nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. He and, only says that he saw something.
1: Right. And so I, I use that like Mura doesn't know what mistake she meant, made that had her experience these aggressions and the the assault at the center. Um, But she keeps looking because she feels like if she finds what she did wrong, she can figure it out. And what she realizes, she didn't do anything wrong. And that also, like this whole thing of like the professor saying that the epic is about love, at the end, um they both realize it's not about love. It's about power. It's about who has it and who doesn't. And um, I, I think that with a lot of sexual assaults, not all of them, but some of them are blurry in terms of like what happened or, or like, you know, reconstructing it and um, the knowledge that it's about power And this operation of power, I think, also can be empowering to somebody who has experienced it to understand, no, it wasn't about those blurry lines. It was about somebody taking advantage of the power structure. Um, Yeah.
2: That's super interesting. I mean, because, you know, with Ovid's rapes, his, I mean, the first rape victim or attempted rape victim in epic is Daphne, and mm-hmm. he almost sets up this paradigm, right? She's a virgin. She doesn't want to get married. She spends her days hunting. She's not conforming to sort of feminine mm-hmm. expectations, and so he mm-hmm. sort of sets up this um, this idea that, well, if you behave like that, then maybe bad things are going to happen to you, and so you start uh- to wonder, well, is he is he explaining why rape might happen to women? But then, as soon as he falls into a pattern, he changes it. Right, uh-huh, so now uh-huh. we get to Philomela. and she's not a you know a devotee of Diana hanging out in the woods. She's a proper princess, right? Uh-huh. And she experiences one of the most brutal rapes in the entire epic. Uh-huh. Um, you uh-huh. have young men who are raped, as you say, young men uh-huh. like Narciss- or like Hermaphroditus, who um, he's sort of a young virgin as well. But then you have Cepheus, who is an older. married man. And so there's really no paradigm in Ovid. Um, There's no rhyme or reason to who's going to experience these, uh, these aggressions and assaults. And as you say, it is, it's about power and it's about who has power at any given moment. And there's not going to be something that we can do to avoid uh, these scenarios. And, um, and so that's interesting that you were really trying to bring out Mira's own questioning of why this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ovid, I think, himself reveals that there's there's really no why um, that we can answer. Um,
1: well, that's also something. There's a, this playwright named Sarah Rule that wrote this essay called On Ovid, and um, she just talks about the Ovidian form being different than Aristotelian form, and Aristotelian is like there's a cause and effect. Something happens, causing something to happen, causing something, whereas Ovid, it just happens. And I think that 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 coupled, like, with also this, another, you know, the thing that I like about Ovid is he does have these patterns, and then he's like, oh, you thought you saw that pattern, but that's not a pattern, really. Ha ha, got you, you know? He has this impish streak to him. I mean, even as he's um, exploring the panoply of, of human behavior, I think there's also a little, like winkiness going on of like, you can't figure me out. And I I very much admire that quality.
2: Absolutely. I mean, even with the epic, you know, we're not reading a traditional kind of epic here, right? We're reading, there's no central, there's no central hero. This is not a war. Um, it's not focused on a specific time period. There's no goal like Odysseus' homecoming. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's an epic about everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes loosely connected, um, you know, one thing that I've I, I've thought about for Ovid, Ovid appeals to people who are comfortable with complexity
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, or who are comfortable with there not being an explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really want a nice, neat universe with a clear goal at the end of it, Ovid is probably not going to be for you. <laughs> um, so um, you know, it's what I find really interesting about the play. Then is how we ourselves might feel if we get sucked into that world, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and and how that might how that would change us. And mm-hmm. will it change us for the better, for the worse? And I like that. I think both of your characters come out changed for the better mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the play.
1: Yeah. I yeah.
2: I experienced that world.
1: Well. It sounds like that might be a good place to stop, Stephanie. So um, this has been amazing as talking with you always is. And um, I'm so excited that you've finished the draft um, the, of the translation. And I, I can't wait to hear more. Do you, do you know when it's coming out?
2: Supposed to be about a year from now, so September twenty twenty two. So we will we will see. Hopefully, we'll be on the other side of what I think is going to be a very transformative period of oh, yeah. COVID. And by that stage, so um, I'm so excited that this play uh, is, is is having all the success, very well deserved success for you. Thank Sherry, you. So congratulations. Thank you so
1: much. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening as well.
2: Thank you.